Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, here we are back again, hour number two of State of the Nation. I'm Steve Hook in Central Texas. Central Texas. I'm not in Central Texas. I'm on That's the me, Central man. Jersey. That's you. <laughs> Brian Hesher McLean is in Central Texas. Uh, at any rate, it's good to be back. First, uh, first hour was a lot of fun, Brian. Yeah, I really enjoy Ben Stein. That guy's great. And I always love talking with Charlie. Charlie's such a great guest. You know, it's hard to find people, at least for me, it's hard to find people like economists that make sense to me, you know, who will actually roll it up to that higher level where we're talking about yeah. things like socialism and, you know, uh, fascism and globalism, all the isms that uh, we're really faced with when it comes to the economy. Yeah, all the isms that leftism embraces. Yes. Um, yeah. By the way, you know, I want to talk, talk about this story because while we were on the air yesterday, a woman by the name of Carol Fox was giving testimony in this uh, investigation into the Biden international family of grift. You know, one day, uh, Hesh, we're going to look back and we're going to be just as shocked as we are now at the amount of grift that's going on. It's absolutely outrageous. And th this testimony that Carol Fox gave yesterday was kind of stunning in a way. She's a bankruptcy uh, trustee, and she testified uh, that there are no documents to back up any agreement that Joe Biden, or James Biden, rather, president of Joe's younger brother, had made to AmeriCorps Health. Now, who's AmeriCorps Health? AmeriCorps Health is a healthcare company based in the Middle East. Um, apparently, James, Jimmy Biden, young Jimmy Biden, uh, got uh, $600,000 from AmeriCorps uh, and then promptly wrote his brother, Joe, our president, a check for $200,000. And in the note section, he wrote loan repayment. Well, Carol Fox, she said we couldn't find any instance of a loan repayment. Court showed that the payments went to James Biden comprised of two wire transfer totaling $600,000 and were designated as loans, despite the fact that they lack any paper trail and they don't say anything about what loan. Carol Fox's firsthand knowledge of the payments made her a relevant witness for House Republicans who are leading that impeachment inquiry into allegations that Joe Biden used his political influence to help his family members profit. Gee, you think? Uh, it's, it's, it's some pretty staggering stuff here. Uh, it says uh, the, the clear evidence is that this transaction was a short-term interest-free loan between brothers. That's what Jamie Raskin says. Funny thing is, there's no lo loan documentation anywhere to be found. So just to put it in a nutshell for you, AmeriCorps hires James Biden for the obvious reason that he is Joe Biden's brother and can grease some skids for them. James Biden apparently never delivered. Now AmeriCorps, AmeriCorps is suing James Biden and saying, you never delivered the goods. We want our money back. And uh, apparently there was no loan. It was all just a grifting uh, operation in full view in front of everybody. So and it's just it's just another staggering uh, piece of evidence that the media says doesn't exist. Uh, but it's pretty uh, it's pretty obvious uh, what 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 was going on here. AmeriCorps wanted some inside grease in D.C. James Biden apparently provided it. 
or said he would provide it and then did not provide it, but he did provide his brother with $200,000. So, so there's that. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, what do you think about that? Well, first off, um, if there was a loan, I suppose we have to, at this point, consider that loan was a box of cash inside a briefcase or something like that. Where did that come from? What was it for? <laughs> Uh, and then to can you imagine being able to get I'm, I'm sort of just game theorying here I'm not making any accusations but judging by what we know could you just imagine uh, getting getting a two hundred thousand dollar loan in cash from your brother this you know political stalwart this uh, swamp critter ghoul and and then getting a, a a, a connection from him, a perk, a pay, a way to pay it back and not even have to come up with your part of the grift. So AmeriCorps comes after him. He could have at least come through with his part of whatever this bribery scheme was or whatever. But uh, yeah, and it echoes of Burisma here much, a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah I yeah, think so. Quite a bit. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Whenever the media uh, hyperventilates and says there's no evidence, uh, that tells me that there's there, there's a bucket load of evidence. And real quick, before we uh, break and throw it to uh, our friend Ruckus, I just wanted to give you the Santa's uh, naughty list here. Mammoth poll conducted this past month uh, and released yesterday shows uh, the uh, congressmen and, and senators and just uh, the the, uh, the po politicians with the with the lowest approval numbers. Who's at number one? The turtle, cocaine Mitch, Mitch McConnell, uh, <laughs> in a poll, all Americans, he has a, a 54%, less than 54% agree with him. Um, and this is where it gets interesting because McConnell's numbers are so lousy because even Republicans can't stand him. Of course, most Republicans really can't stand him, especially conservative Republicans. Uh, and of course, Mitch, uh, let me see, Chuck Schumer is in there. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries does pretty well. That's because most people don't know who he is. Mike Johnson is not doing well, but that's mostly again but from Democrats. Most Republicans are, are like, give Mike Johnson a chance. He's trying. So we'll see. But there's your naughty list. Mitch McConnell, it's time for you to uh, take a hike, buddy. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes you. <laughs> I mean, you have anything to add to that or not just about Oh, Sum my, my naughty list would be very, very, very long. It would be like the uh, episode of SpongeBob where he pulls out his list of things and it just, you know, unravels <laughs> around the house. But that's a decent list. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that for now. <laughs> list of grievances, like the Seinfeld <laughs> episode. Oh, yes. boy. Hey, for all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, festivus, or fundraisers happening near you, all you got to do is visit the What's On Events calendar at the TNT Radio website. That's tntradio.live. And stay in touch with all of us here at TNT Radio. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, I love this story. Let's bring our man Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus, back to the party. Tennessee State Attorney General Jonathan Skirmetti has filed a first-of-its-kind consumer protection lawsuit against BlackRock, accusing the world's largest woke money manager of making false and misleading claims regarding its ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Investment Strategies, to the residents of that state. So good for the volunteer state. Here with the story, joining us once again, TNT Radio News producer, the aforementioned Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. 
Ruckus, somebody's going after ESG, and it might as well be a guy by the name of Scrametti. Tell us about him. Scrametti, yeah. It'll soon be a household name, right? Everyone on the lips. <laughs> Kids everywhere in America. Thank you, Uncle Scrametti. Um, yeah, just kidding. So the civil suit was filed on December 18th, uh, and it argues that BlackRock's continued membership in two climate, quote-unquote, activist groups that would be climate action 100 plus and the net zero asset managers initiative uh, according to them they're arguing that this means that the firm has promised to pursue esg investing goals across all of its 9.1 tr tr trillion dollars in assets under management not just in esg oriented funds thus quote unquote misleading investors who, quote, do not want to invest in assets that are or will be used to push ESG, end quote. In addition to its membership, excuse me, membership in the groups, Scrametti argues in his lawsuit that BlackRock's, quote, extensive commitment to fulfilling ESG aims, end quote, is pursued through the firm's shareholder voting record and in its private engagement with companies. Via a press statement, Scrametti said, quote, we allege that BlackRock's inconsistent statements about its investment strategies deprived customers of the ability to make an informed choice. Some public statements show a company that focuses exclusively on a return on investment. Others show a company that gives special consideration to environmental factors, end quote. This lawsuit is the latest in a series of shots fired against BlackRock by red state politicians who have attacked the firm and its CEO, Larry Fink, love his name, for their stance on ESG investing, an investing strategy that takes environmental, social, and governance factors into account and have collectively pulled billions of dollars from BlackRock's management in retribution for what they have described as an unfair attack on the U.S. energy industry. A representative for BlackRock denied the validity of the lawsuit's claims in a statement. What a shock. The representative said, quote, we reject the attorney general's claims and will vigorously contest any accusations that BlackRock violated Tennessee's consumer protection laws, contrary to the attorney general's claims BlackRock fully and accurately discloses our investment practices and our approach to proxy voting, end quote. Both Fink and his firm have stepped back from using ESG as a term this year, with Fink calling it, quote, unfortunately politicized and weaponized, end quote, and saying that he was, quote, unquote, ashamed to be a part of the ESG debate. So there we have it, guys. What do you think? <laughs> You should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. This, the ESG is not something that should be involved in investing. But I doubt that is why he's ashamed. He's simply feeling the ricochet, feeling the fallout of the realization from so many Americans, and better yet, so many American boardroom members and stock investors who don't want any part of this. And I completely agree with the Tennessee uh, Consumer Protection Law uh, argument that's being made here. They deprive customers of making informed choices, and that's what investors need to look out for moving forward because they're saying it. They're, they're saying the quiet part out loud right here, which is that <clears throat> they're stepping back from using 
ESG terminology. That doesn't mean they're stepping back from ESG. That means they're stepping back from the terminology because like so many things that the left and the globalists have done, they've pushed it too far and people see that it's a joke, that it's a scam, that it's a grift, that it's a money maker and it's a power sucking vortex. <laughs> wow. Well, God, it stole my thunder there. But yeah, I would just say that uh, Larry Fink is the most accurately named man uh, in his position. I mean, the guy is a Fink. I agree with you, Hesh. I think that he's stepping away from ESG, not because he doesn't agree with the ideology of ESG, which is socialism come Marxism. Let's be honest. That's what it is. It's exactly kind of what we were just talking about with Charlie Sauer, quite frankly. And um, I'm not, I'm old enough to remember about two months ago when Larry Fink said, uh, we have to, sometimes you just have to force people to change. Sometimes you just have to force them and we're going to force them into living this stuff. And now all of a sudden, as you rightly exclaimed, uh, uh, Hesh, the ricochet has happened. It's bounced back on him. The boomerang has come back to hit him upside the head. And now he's saying, I'm ashamed I ever agreed to this ESG stuff while still probably holding it very close to his greedy heart. Um, I'll be very interested in seeing how this lawsuit goes. God bless Scrametti. I love Scrametti. You love Scrametti. We all love Scrametti. Uh, just a great lawsuit. And let's see where it goes from here. Anything else on it, uh, Ruckus? You love Scrametti. Oh, yeah. Just don't ask me how to properly spell it and we'll be okay, right? Um, <laughs> not many not many uh, vowels, I don't think. No, it's a tricky one. Um, just so uh, we're clear here, the lawsuit is seeking injunctive relief, civil penalties, disgorgement, restitution for customers, and recoupment of the state's costs. So good luck to you, Scrimetti. There you go. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ruckus. That is absolutely wonderful to hear that story, and we'll follow up with it. You're listening to State of the Nation on T and watching State of the Nation on TNT Radio. We'll be right back with Sal Greco as we discuss one of the biggest faux pas that the mayor of New York City has ever made. And you, if you haven't heard it yet, you will laugh when you hear it. Sal Greco joins us next on State of the Nation on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning, but what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all, they just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like M MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I, if, I I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying. And it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. I'm just gonna do a little voice I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me. 
and I was trying to figure it out. And I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. And I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. That's right, rocking the talk right here on State of the Nation. Brian McLean and Steve Hook here with you. TNTradio.live is the website. Now it's time. we got to talk about this. We would be just uh, not doing our jobs if we didn't. Mayor Eric Adams surprised several social media users after referencing the World Trade Center terror attacks and his description of why New York City is the greatest city on the globe. So Adams spoke with host Dan Manorino on WPIX TV's Picks on Politics on Sunday when the latter asked the mayor what he would use to, what word he would use to describe 2023. Uh, and he said, quote, New York, this is a place where every day you wake up, you could experience everything from a plane crashing into our trade center to a person who's celebrating a new business that's open. That's a very, very complicated day, and that's why it's the greatest city on the globe. End quote, said Adams. Joining us now to break this down is ousted NYPD cop. And why was he ousted? Simply because he was friends with one of our friends, Roger Stone, Sal Greco. Sal, I saw some of the reactions uh, to Adams' comments. Absolutely classic on social media, but what do you think about those comments? Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I like this new format, actually, the video format. This is excellent. Uh, Eric Adams, I actually watched his press conference today, and he says that everybody calling everyone else that criticized him the sentence police. I mean, this guy, look, he always has these quick words and he's, these sentences like, all my haters or my waiters at my table of success. I don't know what the hell that means, but th this guy is like, I don't know, you know, I think the pressure of the federal investigation, his low approval numbers. He's got undocumented. He said in his press conference that he moved along 150,000 of them and they're not sleeping in the streets. Brian, I have video of mothers and children and the father sleeping in the streets of New York City. They are illegal immigrants. Now they're undocumented. The guy can never keep one story straight. He's done this from his days as a, as a cop all the way until now. And that's why he's got this whole 
black clouds surrounding him. I, 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 I mean, I feel sorry for New York. Unfortunately, what they voted for. This isn't also, this is not the first time he's mentioned crashing a plane into a, a building. He said this many months ago, saying he, he was hoping that people better hope that, you know, he's the pilot of a, of a plane and not to crash. I, mean, I don't know why he keeps referencing this, but he went into a whole diatribe today about, you know, he was a first responder on 9-11. But, guy, you, you, you're you used to your words. They matter. You're the mayor. And I mean, I just think the weight of everything that's going on is actually crashing down on him, including my lawsuit. <laughs> Sal, good for you. I can't wait to hear that uh, lawsuit as it, as it proceeds, as it goes forward. I, I, the thing that was so staggeringly stupid about this comment, beyond the obvious, is the way the PIX reporter just kind of went, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like <laughs> basically what what the mayor of the city says is this is a great city. I mean, anything can happen. We might get planes flying into buildings. You may be celebrating your bat mitzvah. What a city. It was such a, a, a ham fisted thing to say. And then today his defense is, hey, why are you giving me a hard time for things that I say? That's so unfair. I Let me ask you this, Sal. Did you ever in your wildest nightmares? think that New York City could elect a mayor. I mean, goodness gracious, we just dealt with Bill DeCamio. I thought everybody was at least going, well, thank God de Blasio's out of here. And now here we have Eric Adams who just keeps stepping in it left and right. He's got the immigration problem. His numbers are tanking. Did you ever think we'd do worse than de Blasio? Uh, well, I think New York was hoping to vote for a law and order candidate. Unfortunately, you know, seven to one, you're outnumbered by Democrats. So they're going to pick a Democrat no matter how you look at it. The problem was he was never a law and order guy. He's talking about 9-11. Steve, this guy was a house mouse as a cop. You know, he says that he was a computer geek. I mean, recently, remember, he was sued by a woman. And by the way, I filed a complaint with the Conflict of Interest Board and the Department of Investigations because Eric... You cannot use the New York City Law Department to defend you in a rape case because they can't defend you in a rape case. You can request it, but you cannot have them defend you because rape doesn't fall under the scope of a New York City police officer's job. That's actually a law on the books. You can look this up. So, uh, Eric, I mean, I just think that the pressure of everything that's going on with this guy is really just you're, you're seeing that. He's got he's lost his swagger. I mean, he used to he was going around with this. I'm the swagger man. I'm going to bring New York back and all this stuff. And all you're noticing is what we all knew on the job. And later on, when he became the state senator and, and all that. I mean, Eric Adams, just he 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 knows how to talk. He learned very well how to talk and double talk out of side, both sides of his mouth. And that's what people fell in love with. He doesn't have any solutions to the solutions. He's a the swagger man with no plan. Curtis Lee will gave him the best nickname. And New York City, in all honesty, Steve, they must be regretting right now that they, they did not vote for Curtis Lee would have been a mayor. He would have been a much better choice. And he probably would have been, uh, you know, uh, holding this uh, immigration problem down and other problems New York City's had because he he's very good and very smart on all the issues. But Eric is a mess. And I mean, when you're out all night, Steve, partying with criminals and felons in nightclubs with your police commissioner and top NYPD brass, by the way, that doesn't make anything better because obviously they all care about partying and not governing.
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is with the 9-11 references? I mean, we got a headline to take in about a minute or so, but just generally speaking, like I cannot find any silver lining, any reason for it, any semblance of taste or anything other than just tone deaf stupidity when trying to bring up 9-11 and the World Trade Centers in the way that he did. Yeah, uh, he. I told you, it's the second time he's referenced crashing a plane into a building. I, I don't know what goes in his, his, his mind. I'll tell you what, that guy, the what's his name, Manamarino or Manarino, the guy he went to on uh, PIX, that guy's a lightweight. He's a friend of Eric's. Eric will never go anywhere to where he could be challenged. I mean, heck, if TNT Radio would allow it, I'll have a debate one-on-one -on -one with Eric Adams, or we could have a discussion one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be politics or New York City uh, Police Department business. But he, he would never do that. He likes to yeah. stay in the safe zone. The guy won't even go on WABC radio, which he used to go on a lot. He doesn't go on there no more. He doesn't want to go anywhere where there'll be some kind of, you know, confrontational uh, debate or talk about one of his policies or something stupid that he says. Because that's all yeah. he does these days, Brian. That's all he does. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see what we can do to set that up. We want to see Sal Greco versus Eric Adams in the TNT Octagon here. I doubt he'll take the invite, but we'll take the headline right here on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Big news, 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 news. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Russian Air Defense Forces successfully intercepted a drone attempting to target Moscow. A volcano on Iceland's Reykjanes Peninsula, located southwest of the country, has erupted following a period of significant earthquake activity. The evacuation of a community escaping floodwaters in far north Queensland continues as authorities switch from response to recovery after days of record rainfall and damaging winds. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Yeah, we're with Sal Greco right here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk. We're talking about Eric Adams. What a bumblefoot. I mean, that's actually a big insult to a guitar player that I like. I should come up with a better insult that doesn't insult a great musician. Um, Sal, what kind of talk to us a little bit about this guy's history. Like, uh, does 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 the way that he performed when he was a cop match up with the way that he talks now? Well, if we go all the way back to the, the early 90s, he first of all started in transit and transit and NYPD merged as one. He was in charge of a group called the Transit Guardians. Now, the Guardians had like eight different uh, departments with eight different divisions in them. One of them is the NYPD Guardians, which was led by actually my attorney, who was a NYPD cop, Eric Sanders. Eric Adams was in charge of the Transit Guardians, and he wanted to position himself taking all of this over, which eventually became he, he became the, uh, the, the head. He was the CEO of another group of Guardians like the Grand Grand Council Guardians. And then he went on to become the 100 Law Enforcement Blacks, which, as you know, at that time was referencing something about Newt Gingrich when he started his, uh, he's something he had said on the uh, on the television airwaves at, at one point. So that his whole history has been a guy who is politically active as a cop. He wasn't in the street. And he had no idea what he was doing in the street. In fact, you could ask people on a job, they'll call him an empty suit. So... He was on television. 
hanging out with known criminals, which is what he fired me for, right? He was hanging out with Al Sharpton. He, he was bodyguarding for Mike Tyson. He was an actual bodyguard for Mike Tyson, which he used the Guardians to do. See, going back to these days when he was with the Guardians, they used it for him to get a platform. That's what he used it for. And then he used it to get in with Al Sharpton, uh, Mike Tyson, which is numerous articles about, and then Louis Farrakhan, an anti-Semite and a criminal in his own in his own uh, state. So he's got a a history of hanging out with known criminals and felons. But he seems to have a problem with Roger Stone apparently and myself. That's what gets me. I I don't understand it. And he continues this to this day, Brian. The nightclub thing I'm telling he's hanging out in his place in the Bronx with this guy, Jimmy, Jamie Rodriguez, whatever his real name is. And this guy's a known criminal and he owns this restaurant. There's nothing but criminals and felons there. And Brian, what is Letitia James doing in this place? So, I mean, this is like the whole thing. None of this, none of it makes sense. You can't wrap your head around it, but welcome to the world of Eric Adams, Brian. That's the way he's been from day one, day one. Wow. He's he, He's just grifting it. It must be in the Democratic uh, water cooler or something because he is a total political grifter. And, and I know that Eric Adams was never a cops cop. I know a lot of cops. I, yeah, I know, you know, and 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 he and we've talked with you over over the years or over the months, Sal, and, and you've made mention of the fact that he's he never was a cops cop. So so here you've got a a political grifter, a lifelong bureaucrat, and a climber at that. Then he gets in charge of the biggest city in the United States of America. He's in so far over his head, and now he's dealing with tens of thousands of other Eric Adams out there, uh, people just like him. And he's and he's just he's he's just barely keeping his head above water, and he's probably going down soon. Oh man, craziness! Listen, Sal, we, we got we got to uh, cut you loose, but give have, give us one more word on this, and and then uh, we hope we can get you back as this lawsuit goes forward. Oh yeah, well my lawsuit will be, is going forward, Steve. I'm up to I'm actually subpoenaing people. I have subpoenas out right now, and we're asking for uh, the the city to give us some uh, stuff as well. So that's going forward. We'll see where that lands because we don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen with Eric Adams. He's got a federal investigation. They, they're screaming for his head in New York City. So I mean, welcome to the world of Eric Adams, like I said. And you can look back <laughs> at his history, whether it was a state senator. The Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn Borough pre uh, President, and now as the mayor, controversies always surrounded and followed Eric Adams. And for anyone out there, if you want to help me, because look, it, this isn't easy what I'm doing. I'm fighting an entire system, including Eric Adams. Uh, go to SalGreco.com. You can click the support button if you feel inclined to do so. It would help me, and uh, I, I appreciate it. And also, if you want to, uh, maybe you want to buy a T-shirt or a mug or something that's on there, you can go to the store. You can help me out if you want to. You want to grab something in the store. But other than that, uh, I love you guys. I love being on TNT Radio, and uh, stay tuned because uh, this is like a story that has like no end. It just it just keeps splintering into a thousand pieces, Steve. Well, well, hopefully, Sal, it does have an end and a good one for you. But yeah. yeah, folks, there's a good idea. Go to salgreco.com uh, and there's some good stocking stuff for ideas. Get some t-shirts, mugs, what have you, all the stuff, the, all the swag in the shop. Help our buddy Sal out as he fights the system and what a corrupt system it is. Sal Greco, God bless you, sir. Have a very happy, uh, Merry Christmas. And we hope to have you back on real soon on State of the Nation. All right. Thank you, Steve and uh, Brian. And by the way, uh, yes, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. All Thank right, you. Thanks, Take Sal. care. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, there he goes. That's Sal Greco. He's always wonderful.
We've got another segment to go, Brian, and it's going to be a fun one. We'll introduce that next coming up on State of the Nation on TNT Radio coming up next. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week while campaigning in Iowa, Joe Biden was the topic of conversation for Donald Trump, and he wanted to make clear that everyone knew that Biden couldn't handle things cognitively. He can't put two sentences together. He's running. Can't find his way off the stage. See all the stairs around here? How the hell do you not... Where is the stair? He says, where is the stair? And he walks off the stage and he's like... And Trump wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he had been found most competent. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor, give me anything you want. I want to take it. I think you actually, if you're running for president, I think you should be forced to take it. They say it's not constitutional. So instead of, uh, you know, look, we want, we love our constitution, but look what we have in office. This guy cannot pass a cognitive exam. True words have never been spoken. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to Parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third-generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to uh, State of the Nation. On yesterday's show, we spoke with Kristen Christie about the importance of a positive mental outlook and hunting for the good. Of course, one of the big takeaways of our conversation yesterday was the importance of digital decompression. In other words, putting the devices away and engaging in family time. The dinner table is an obvious place that uh, you should put the family uh, first and the phones and tablets second, maybe even third. Put them away. So who better than to join us than the host of Breaking Bread on BreakingBreadTV.org, Monsignor Jamie G. Cantiello. I hope I got that right. Uh, G. Cantiello. And okay, I'm gonna, I'm trying. And his sous chef, longtime actor, uh, Anthony Mangano. Uh, Mangano, how are you, uh, Monsignor and Anthony? I know I, I'm not Italian. What can I say? I did my I best. Say, folks, 
right? You don't want to be Italian, right? <laughs> oh, listen, I, 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 they're the most fun the people to hang around. Well, Brian and Steve, thank you for having me on. And uh, it's a great pleasure. As you know, uh, I was a chef before I became a priest. And I was able to use my culinary skills in my priesthood to, to evangelize and also to, you know, develop relationships with people and bring people back to the table. Oh, well, I that's, love it. That's I, what we want to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, um, you, you, you also wrote Reclaiming the Table, a 31 day devotional and as well as Breaking Bread. Uh, so, and, and you have the Breaking Bread show also on, on YouTube yes. and, and other great platforms, all of which I, I'm cramming all this in this morning, and I'm just very excited to see what you guys are going to show us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, as the book says, it's, you know, reclaiming the table. It speaks about the importance of the table at home, uh, how it was so important when we were growing up. You know, that's where families came together. They shared their life stories. They shared, you know, what was going on on a daily basis. They were able to observe and learn from one another. Parents were able to see what their kids were going through. Uh, and it's missing today in our world because we, we live such a busy life. And uh, that's one of the things that really has gone out the window, so to say, you know, but it's important that we make time to return to the table. And even with friends, you know, today the extended family are our friends. You know, people live all over the world and, you know, you you kind of make your, your new friends your family. And that's what this book and the Breaking Bread is all about. Well, that's great to hear. Now, uh, Monsignor, you're going to, you and I guess, Anthony, are you a cook too? Are you a good chef? Somewhat. <laughs> I'm not. He sings better than he cooks. Yes. <laughs> I know how to boil water really good. I can boil water with the best of them. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, uh, I know you're going to make us a little something today. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you walk us through and just we're just hand it off okay. to you? And well, I got this started because I know uh, time is a factor. But a lot of times, cooking is all uh, getting your all your ingredients in place. We call it that mise en place, which means having all your ingredients ready. And the dishes that I prepare, and most of the dishes in the in the book are very simple dishes. They're made with fresh food, simple, and a lot of this stuff you can prepare ahead of time. So when you come home from work or you come home from a busy day shopping, you can just go into the refrigerator, get it, all the, the ingredients that you had prepared ahead of time, and you make a meal in like 10, 15 minutes, as opposed to going to, uh, to buy fast food. So it's so important. Today I'm gonna to be making an Italian dish called veal sotambuca. And what it is is basically is veal with prosciutto, and a little sage, a little chicken stock, some mushroom, a little lemon, salt and pepper, very simple. So I have a couple of pieces of veal scallopini here and scallopini is the cut, it's a thin cut piece of veal. And I'm just sauteing that right now with a little butter and olive oil. And once that's sauteed on both sides, as you can see, I'm not sure if you can see it so well, I then take the veal out, I floured the veal, uh, the veal, uh, I should say, the veal I floured with a little water, with a little flour. And now what I'm going to do, the veal is cut very thin, so it cooks, you know, kind of quick. Now what I do here is I have some fresh mushrooms. I'm going to throw it in the same pan that has the olive oil and the butter. I then take a little chicken stock. And I'll let that simmer for a few moments. 
at the end, I'll add the salt and pepper, a little hot pepper, and a little lemon juice, and a little masala wine. So as that's simmering a few minutes, uh, you have any other questions about my book and my TV show? The TV show is on our diocesan cable station called The Net in the Diocese of Brooklyn, New Evangelization Television. And Anthony has been on uh, The Net, uh, acting, singing, many Christmas specials he's done. We've done a lot of things together. Yes. We've put on concerts. Uh, so we've done a lot to try to evangelize in the Diocese of Brooklyn through the arts. You know, getting people to come to through the arts to plant that seed of faith in them. And Anthony so, has helped us a lot. You want to tell us about some of the things maybe we did together? Oh, my God. <laughs> we did the first breaking bread I think I did with him. It was Seven Fishes. Yes. Christmas Eve. We yes. did. We did. The, the, the Italians eat the Seven Fishes Christmas Eve. So, yeah, it's a big tradition. I know. Oh, yeah. Big, big. You know, we eat so much fish that night that if you tried to go fishing the next day, there wouldn't be any fish in the ocean. We ate fish on Christmas Eve. We never had, I think we had maybe 10 fish. Or some, yeah. some years we had five fish. Things were bad that year. But, I mean, it was always <laughs> fish. But in the last 20 years ago, you know, they came up with the seven fish. Now, where did that come from? I think it was a little faith-based. A little faith-based, yeah. And how many sacraments? That's your department. I'll, I'll fail. <laughs> there are seven sacraments. <laughs> You know, God created the world in seven days. You know, there are the seven deadly sins. We won't talk about them on this show. No. <laughs> no, no. But we've worked together, you know, a lot of years, you know, and uh, I've done beat shows with him. We've done concerts and uh, I've done Christmas variety shows where he's been on and, and just he's always there for you. You know, real quick so that, you know, um, such, he's such a good guy. Uh, I had a stroke two and a half years ago pretty bad. He was at the hospital in two days, two days, not my son. So whatever he needs, he gets because <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good man. Besides mm -hmm. the singing, all around, good God's man. He's God. a good man. I'm just doing God's More people, they got to know what a good man is. This is a good well, there man. There you go. I have oh, to say, uh, one of the things that I also do is I, I raise a lot of money for our Catholic schools. Yes. And I use my cooking as a means to engage people, to develop, to develop relationships with people. And people are interested in cooking and people are interested in eating. And I think that as the book says, reclaiming the table, that's where people for a few minutes or maybe an hour or two a day, try to forget about all the problems in life and all the stress and to sit down with people you care about and to break bread together, to you know share a meal, and to support one another and have fun. And I think if we did that a little bit more and a lot of people in the world took time to do that, uh, I think uh, we would have a, a lot more people with a better attitude in life. Yeah, way better. <laughs> you know, like you yeah, guys I said, you're right. first thing first, the phone should be put down. Yeah. Put the phones down. I got to yell there at everybody. Go. The other night, they were all on their phones. I went, stop. You know, there was like 20 of us. Put them away. You know, because you see, you look, everybody's on a phone. Yeah. It's just like habit forming, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very difficult, you know, and, and even those of us like, like you guys and, and many of you out there watching or listening to the program, you understand that when that thing buzzes or dings, you're pretty much not in control. We're at a point now where it's a reflex where you look at it. It's just yeah. a thing. So like putting yeah. them on silent 
putting them in a box, whatever the policy is at the at the head of the table. I mean, how important is that? It's pretty important, especially in the holidays. I see like there's been some some people I've seen some shows where they the mother or the father will pass around a basket and everybody has to put their phone in it before they sit down. I think that's admirable. I think that's great. And he's, and he's right. That, then at least you can communicate. I mean, you yeah. might fight at the table and argue, but at least you'd be communicating. I, I, guess I, I, think, that, I, I think that the whole idea of, of cooking um, and especially getting family and loved ones and friends involved, uh, I think it lends itself uh, to the proselytization that you're talking about, um, Monsignor, if I do say, because it really is a time of, of, of a communal coming together. And and we've lost a lot of that, especially our young, uh, the youth these days. They're locked. You, you watch a 22-year-old sit down on a couch and get uh, involved in a TikTok thread, and you've just lost that kid for for an hour and a half, two hours, and uh, they're gone. So uh, th- this is a wonderful, uh, wonderful concept you're doing with Breaking Bread. And, you know, family members, uh, a lot of times parents at dinners, when you go to a restaurant, I think they they let the kids go on their tablets and their phones because it keeps them quiet. But when you're at home, I think it's a different story. I think at home, you have to engage with your children a little bit more. Uh, so I think that's so important. Also, I think that as people of faith, we have to be reminded uh, that, you know, God gave us many blessings in life. And one of the ways we can share our blessings with one another is at a meal. Uh, because, you know, you take the time out to prepare the table, prepare a meal. It's telling people you care about them. Uh, and then also, you know, they're not alone. Uh, a lot of people live alone today. A lot of people are, you know, mo- are moving from one state to the other. They don't have many friends. And the table brings them together. As a family, uh, we all miss our loved ones, our, our parents and grandparents. Christmas time, Thanksgiving, when we come together, you know, we prepare some of those special recipes that were unique to our families and i'm and you know you talk about it and you you know it brings our loved ones back uh we reconnect with them even if they're not physically with us they come back to us and it brings the family together there's so many different things that you know that happen at the table and speaking of the table i just i don't want to miss on this what i did was after the mushrooms were sauteing with the butter and the olive oil after we um sauteed the veal scallop the veal uh slices I now put some prosciutto on top. I put a piece of sage on top of each uh, slice of veal. I'm going to now throw in some Marsala wine. Oh, I'm a little hungry. Yeah, man, are you kidding? I bet you want a piece of this right now, huh? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, man, I do. You have no idea. <laughs> Not too much salt because the prosciutto is salty. A little pepper. And I like a little spice. I like a little hot pepper. There you go. Red pepper. Red pepper. Spicy Monsignor. Let that simmer for another, you know, two or three minutes. And it's a beautiful, beautiful dish. Simple. Oh, wow. And there that you fresh go. sage. I love that. Yeah. Fresh sage. Got it. Just that nice thing. Oh, yeah. And, and how important is it that you've got access to a book here with reclaiming the table a 31 day devotional and breaking bread with monsignor jamie from feeding the body to feeding the soul and within those you not only do you get 
uh, recipes that you can complete quickly like this. So you just showed us how quick that can happen if you're if you've got your ingredients prepped and everything. But there's also this aspect that we're talking about in this discussion here, which is the importance of family coming together interwoven in the book. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, like the flow of the book. I'd like people to, you know, really get out there oh. and get a copy. Well, the book, uh, Reclaiming the Table First, is uh, a 31-day devotional. And when it has a little scripture passage, and then there's a little uh, prayer, and there's a little challenge uh, to the family members to try to put, you know, that reflection, that, that scriptural passage into action, to take it from the table, and then to share that with others. The book basically uh, is a book with recipes, but also every rest, every episode of the TV show, um, We not every episode, many of them we put into the book. And what it does is we had many guest chefs that have come on and people that have given back to society, that give back to charity, that have made a difference in the world. So not only am I inviting, you know, culinary chefs with, you know, great talents and skills, and restaurant owners, but people that give back to society. And we talk about the work that they do and the success that they've had in their lives and how they want to give back. And it's a way of thanking God for the blessings that they have been blessed with. And that's why all the chefs that I have, I make sure that there's some something in there that we can let people know that everyone has an opportunity to do something and to make a, a difference in this world. Wow. So it's, it's, it's such, I, I love the idea. I love the message. And I'm sure I would love that veal salt and boca. I'm just so, <laughs> you know, I, I got to say, I got <laughs> yeah, to say to you, Monsignor and Anthony as well, something you said, Monsignor, that struck me, you said, this is a great, a great time to bring the family together around the table, including those that are no longer with us. And cooking, I think, lends itself so well to that. You can be sharing recipes from your long lost grandmother that are carried down generation upon generation. And this is the wonderful thing about, about cooking. And I'll let you know a little secret. I'm a chef myself. I went to, I went to the American Culinary Federation apprenticeship program. It's not about okay. me, but one thing I love doing with my family is getting them involved in cooking. Uh, it gives us time to get together as, as, as a father and, and, and my daughters or my wife. And it also, in a more practical sense, it imparts a little cooking knowledge on him. When you said mise en place, I'm like, okay, he knows what he's talking about here. Because that's one of the biggest things. That was, one, that was one of the first challenges to teach my kids. Mise en place. Get everything in place so you're not running around looking for stuff at the last minute. But it, exactly. it really does. Uh, it does. Uh, it, it lends itself so well to your message. And I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant deal. I went back and looked at a couple of your episodes uh, of breaking bread and uh it really is good the second thing clean as you go as you're yes. cooking clean as you go no mess at the end i mean i went to the i attended the culinary institute of america and i worked for 10 years in hotels and restaurants so you know i was in the kitchen i was in the front of the house uh and um the front of the house meaning the restaurant with the people but it, it's a great uh you know background for me that I was able to use when I became a priest. I didn't become a priest. I entered the seminary at 30. I was ordained at 35. But all of the skill that I learned with talking to people, serving people, um, really helped me in my ministry. And that I'm able to use it 
is even better because I didn't have to like throw that, you know, all my culinary skills out the window. So now I'm a priest now. I can use and I incorporate all of that. And now with the fundraiser, fundraising that I do for our Catholic schools, it even makes it even better. Yeah, oh, so I you literally went so. from feeding the body to feeding the soul. Yes, that's that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and and I'm imagining uh, both at once every time. I mean, uh, Anthony, maybe you can speak to this. Um, how much uh, extra do you get when it comes to you know interacting with people, be it from your congregation or or other colleagues, people you're doing media with? I mean, my goodness, you guys are practically Renaissance men when it comes to the <laughs> various styles of media that you do and production everything but how how key is it how much of a leg up is it to really connect with someone when you sit down with the monsignor here and and break bread with them well it becomes like he said it's like family because it seems like you know just being with somebody and eating the you find out you may have a lot more in common than you think when people come from all different backgrounds but you have a lot more in common than you think. And especially when it comes to like sitting down and then you hear who's married, who has kids, who's got this problem, who's got that problem. You see, like I said, you, you seem to all different shades, but in the end you get to the same place. So I think it's great because you can always get it. It's, well, he's a great cook. So it's, you just, a lot of things come together. And especially you know you're in it. We know what you're in it for Anthony. You're I'll in it for it the right there. This is what he's in it for right here. That looks really good. I got to tell oh, you, that looks man. really good. Yeah, it does. You know what they say? You come together at a dinner party as friends and you leave as family. So, you know, after you share a lot, you know, things that, you, like you said, you have in common, maybe things you didn't realize you had in common. And, you know, you sit down and, you know, you think of all the division that's going on in our, our country and in our city. In fact, our mayor... Uh, last year started a new program called Breaking Bread. And I know the mayor very well. I think he robbed it from me. Yeah, I think so. I, but what he does is he goes around the city and he asks different uh, organizations to host a dinner with all the different groups in the, in the neighborhood, different people of different ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, uh, whatever the case may be, and just to come down, sit down and talk and break bread and that's what that's where it all happens and he, he named it breaking bread <laughs> so it, it, it it's it's something that you know if, if all if the mayor is talking about it we're talking about it there must be a need in our society to come back to sit down and break bread and reclaim the table yeah and especially this time of year a lot of people in the holidays you know it's it's not all santa and ho 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 a lot of people get kind of down whether it's the yeah. economy, work pressure, whatever it is. So to get together with people that you might not otherwise get together with and break bread with them at a table, that can only help. That can only help. For one, you get a great meal, and for two, you probably end up with some very close friends that you never knew you had. Isn't that true? True. We just had a, a Thanksgiving uh, dinner that we have here in the parish. We have a food pantry. We feed about 300 people a week uh, and every day. Uh, we feed, I should, I should say, we about 500 people a week. Uh, every day we feed a hot meal. And at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we have a hot meal and we invite people, and not necessarily people that are poor, but people that 
need a, a good meal, but people that are alone. They're not going to yeah. sit down and make a, you Monsignor, know, a... Monsignor Jamie, we got to go. Thank you okay. so much for making this wonderful meal and sharing your...